We're going to kind of wrap up our summer series and, uh, and ask God to do some incredible things, to give us some tools this morning that will help us to be effective as believers. Um, I'm excited for what, I, uh, for what we're about to share and uh, because of what God is doing in some of your lives. I can see it on your faces. God is moving and he's helping you. This past week was an incredible week as a church. And I saw many of you plugging in at the backpack drive, serving and loving on families. And I'll tell you, after the students did their drama, which we're going to do in a couple weeks, I'm sure, uh, after they did their drama, this, uh, there were many, many people that were touched and moved. And we walked them out of the sanctuary here to get their backpacks. But dozens of people filled out prayer requests saying, you know what, I need prayer for this or for that. And it was incredible. And we get that privilege to pray for those things over the next month. And then there were many decisions for Christ as well as we said, you know what, don't leave this property without settling your heart with Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better than that. And then, of course, the, the uh, retreat, I already mentioned, we had a couple of the students uh, give their hearts to the Lord first time, brand new, which is always exciting. And then many of our students were filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, that was exciting as well. And you know what? The tools that we've been learning in Ephesians chapter 6, as we put on the armor of God, as we take up some of those, those uh, pieces and we put those on, they are tools that will help us to be victorious. And then we get to the, uh, in, in Ephesians 6, and we understand that it says, finally, kind of the idea is that if we miss this, if we miss the armor of God, we would risk what came before it. And so I've been encouraging you uh, this summer to read Ephesians in its entirety. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, we see a rich theology of what God has done for us in and through Christ Jesus. And we don't want to miss that by throwing away or, or disregarding the, uh, the uh, chapter 6 uh, to finally be strong in the Lord. And then in chapters 4 and 5, if you've read through Ephesians, it's talked about how that theology is lived out in our marriages and in our family, working with our kids, uh, with work and, and a few other things. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, we understand when we look at the armor of God, we're not talking about some sort of game. It's serious business. It's not, you know, if you grew up in church, and uh, especially if you're a little older, maybe there was flannel graphs of the armor of God, and you kind of put the pieces on, right? And, uh, but you know what? It's more than just a flannel graph story. Or, or, you know, if you're in kids' church and, you know, singing about the different components of the armor of God, and that's important for the kids to get that in their mind, but it's more than that. One commentator I was reading this week said that all life is war. And at first I was like, really? And I, you start to think about it. And we've been saying that we are in a battle. And it's true. And we don't want to approach these verses in Ephesians 6 with a lax attitude. It says right in there, when the day of evil comes, which we know it will, we know that any day the devil is attacking, that we are to be ready. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read through this uh, account as we kind of wrap up today and, and uh, kind of move forward uh, from there. I'm excited for uh, September. 
Uh, next week we'll have missions and, uh, and highlight missions in a, a special way. One of the best uh, speakers we've ever had will be here next week, Kevin Prinz, a powerful, powerful preacher. Um, I'm excited. Um, uh, he works with YWAM and, and uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Um, he's based out of Grand Rapids now, and he's going to come and bless us in the Word. And you won't want to miss next Sunday. It's going to be really, really exciting. But why don't we stand and let's read uh, these final, uh, some of the final words that Paul, writing to the Ephesians, uh, he was encouraging the church there in Ephesus. It says this, Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And we've talked a lot about the devil's schemes this summer. And uh, we want to be aware that the devil's out to destroy us. But it says here, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, again, any day that the enemy is attacking, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Everyone say, stand firm. firm. Verse 14 says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And we talked about being ready, being prepared with the belt of truth and with their feet or with the breastplate of righteousness in place. We talked about righteousness, putting on righteousness, holiness, how important that is to our lives and how God, he blesses us as we pursue holiness. And with the feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And how many again are thankful that we are not at war with God? God, he loves us and he causes us to rest and we can have peace in our lives. And then in verse 16, it says, in addition to all this, now the language changes, remember. Instead of just putting on, it says, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arts of, darts of the evil one. When the enemy is attacking and when he's uh, out to destroy you and the, the battle is raging, take up the shield of faith. In verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. We talked about that last week, how be, we We can uh, be secure. There's ultimate victory, past, present, and future. The hope of our salvation. And then verse 17 at the end, not only take up the helmet of salvation, but also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Lord, these words are life to us. And Lord, I pray that we would not just hear your word, but Lord, we would experience it in our lives and we would take it to heart and Lord, we'd be serious about putting on, taking up these things to be able to be victorious for your glory, for your honor. And Lord, I pray that this morning you'd use me in a powerful way Lord, your word speaks for itself. And so as we look to your word, I pray that it would just pierce into the, even the hardest heart this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 You can be seated this morning. We've been talking a lot about the, uh, these armor, and uh, we've understood that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. He's in prison. This is a prison epistle. 
And he's looking, most commentaries believe, that he is chained to a Roman soldier. And as he's reflecting and writing, he's looking over at the soldier, looking at the, the armor, that, uh, the, the uh, dress that the Roman soldier would have had, and relating these things to spiritual truths. And you know, a Roman soldier, what, a nickname for them were, was the enforcer. They were an enforcer. They had incredible authority. And the reason they had authority was because it was kind of started at the top and trickled down. But even just your average soldier had authority. And the main reason is because they had a sword <laughs> always with them. Now, uh, Clayton, I'm, I'm looking for Clayton today. I don't see him. I see um, his wife here, but I don't, uh, he gave me the sword. And, and so, some people think of uh, the sword of the Spirit kind of as, as this ginormous sword. And this is a sweet sword um, that Clayton gave me. I don't, do you think he wanted me to keep this or just borrow? Just borrow. Okay, Kim, all right. You can let him know. We'll give it back to him. But, um, but he gave this to me. And, and we kind of think about the sword like this. And, you know, actually, when you look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says that the, 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 the Word of God is like a double-edged sword, in that context, it's actually talking about a larger sword. But here, in Ephesians 6, it's really not this long, heavy sword. It's more of a sword, and I, I couldn't get a good example, but I got a little machete here. It would be more like this, but much more impressive. <laughs> But these soldiers would have this, and they would wear it, and they would become very, very familiar with their sword. It was used for close, hand-to-hand combat. It was easily accessible. It was ready to use at all times, the sword that, that he would have noticed that a Roman soldier would have had. The sword was their only strategic weapon that could be used when the enemy was close. And a soldier became, again, very proficient. Hours and hours were spent learning to, to understand. It became second nature for them uh, to use their sword. Their lives depended on it. Just think about it. Their lives at times, as a Roman soldier, depended on their ability to use the sword. And Paul's looking at this Roman soldier understanding the importance of that tool, and he relates it to the Word of God. Pretty powerful. Now, there's this sword that, that he, the Roman soldier would have had. It was that type of sword that was used uh, when they arrested Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. It was that same uh, kind of sword that Peter would have, would have grabbed to cut off the ear of the high priest servant. And then, of course, Jesus took that ear and put it back on and healed him right on the spot. I would have loved to have been there for that. It was the same type of sword that killed James, the brother of John, by order of King Herod in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. These swords, as though they were small, were extremely effective, very sharp, and they were very, very proficient in using them. And again, Paul sees this sword on the Roman soldier, and he relates it to the Word of God. And I want to talk about this morning is what is the Word of God? And we can turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and um, you can look there. And it says that the Word of God is like a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword. Well, it says, 
It's, sharp, it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges in its thoughts and attitudes of heart. And in this context, most commentaries believe it was more like the ginormous sword that, that Clayton uh, blessed me with uh, to use. But it's interesting, the word choice in Ephesians chapter 6 is a little different when he talks about the Word of God. He's relating it to the Word of God. The Word of God has really two uh, different things. I studied a little bit of Greek in college, more Hebrew, and so I'm not a great scholar. But as I studied this, there was, there's two primary ways that Paul and other writers of the New Testament would have used the, or to describe the Word of God. The first is logos or logos. And then we see that in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when he talks about Lagos, it's the actual written Word of God. The 66 books, it's the Word of God um, as we understand it as a book, as a, as a living and active book. And, uh, but then there's a second term called rhema, the rhema word. And we see that it's a little different. It's the spoken word of God. And we, this is the word that Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 6. Most of the time in the New Testament, when we hear the word of God, it's logos. A few times, it's the rhema word of God, the spoken word of God. Paul uses that word rhema only eight times in the New Testament in all of his writings. In seven out of eight of those times, it's relating specifically to the spoken word and relating to the gospel, to the good news. We can look at a couple examples here. Why don't you turn with me real quick to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll just uh, give you a couple quick ideas of what it means, of the distinction. Uh, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, the rhema word of God, you accepted it, not as word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in those who believe. Again, it says, as you re- when you received the word of God, the rhema word of God, which you heard from us. It was a spoken word. Then they believe. It was the gospel shared. Another example is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. If you want to turn there, it says, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God, the rhema word of God for profit. We don't speak the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Again, it was the word of God, a rhema word, a spoken word, and it was relating to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writing to the Corinthian church in a different letter, but he's, he kind of captures what the gospel means. And in verse 1, it's, he starts, he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. 
Now, it's interesting. This is not in the same uh, context as uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where he's encouraging us to stand. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But he used that same terminology. It's the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold on firmly to the word I preached to you, the rhema word, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as, a first, as of most importance. And this is the gospel right here, summed up. That Christ died for our sins, according to to the scripture. The gospel is the message that Jesus lived, he died, and then he rose again. And Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 15, he's saying it's the most important thing that you could ever know. It's the gospel. And you know, information these days, how many have heard that information doubles Every couple years nowadays, just with the information, uh, with the internet and just technology, and, and, uh, it, it's, and it's fast forward. I don't know if that's an actual statistic. I'm not sure how you'd even measure that. But uh, the idea is that, that knowledge is, uh, is growing, and uh, we understand more today than ever. But Paul is saying, know God's word, his logos, the word of God, and then be able to communicate it, rhema, to be able to share the word of God. It's the clarity of the gospel message. You know, Martin Luther, quite a reformer, said this. He said, the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. And then he says, therefore, we need to know it well. We need to teach it well, beating it into each other's heads. How about that? Martin Luther. And so this morning, I'm not going to beat it into your heads necessarily, but we want you to understand the importance of God's word, especially the rhema word. So how do we use this sword of the spirit? How do we use it? A Roman soldier, of course, had precision and authority because of it. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is not how to use it, but not, is more how not to use the sword of the spirit. We don't use the spoken word of God for our personal gain. You understand that? As some sort of power, or some, we could abuse God's word as, and speak it. The other thing we don't do is we don't speak directly to the devil. That's not our call. I mean, we can call out the devil. We can speak it with authority. We can speak God's word. But we don't just you know, communicate with the devil. It's not like we're masters of demons. But we are ambassadors of the master the who wrote the word of God and we can speak it and there's power behind that. And so we don't do it for personal gain. The goal is for us to use the rhema, the word of God, the spoken word, and we are to share it with others, with other believers and with other non-believers because there's something powerful when the gospel is shared. When it is heard, when the gospel is, is heard, Satan has to release his grips. There's no authority greater than the spoken word of God. If you want to, the devil to be defeated, you can ask your question, is the gospel on my lips? Do I speak the word of God at home? Do we speak the word of God in our workplace, with our kids, with our spouses, with our neighbors, with our friends. 
Because if it's absent, if you don't, if you're not speaking the word of God over these things, you're like a soldier who has no weapon. Or you're like a turtle. You've got all this protective gear on the outside, but you're shrunk up inside and you have no, you're not going anywhere. But the spoken message of the gospel, church, it sets people free. And there's power behind it. And when there's a battle in your life, and when there's opposition, when Satan has a stronghold, when he's messing with your mind, when there's thoughts and attitudes and, and uh, bitterness or anger that kind of well up, or when you're struggling financially, or when there's a physical problem in your body, the only thing that has authority over Satan is God's Word. And so we need to learn to stand firm in that. Ephesians 6 says to, that we are to be standing firm. Now, I want you to picture uh, a soldier, a Roman soldier. If they were to stand firm, that doesn't mean that they are standing still. To stand firm meant to be advancing, to move forward, because you can only go forward or backwards. And if you're standing still, you are going to be in trouble. You are already retreating. And so standing firm is really an advancing not just standing there like a turtle, not able to move anywhere. And every one of us, we need God's word. We need to stand firm. We need to be advancing it. And so we need to read it. We need to read God's word and not only read it, but we need to memorize it because when the day of evil comes, we need to be able to recall those things in our heart to be able to quote those things to come against the attacks of the enemy. We know that most of the armor of God were defensive. This is the offensive tool in our arsenal that is powerful. Now, personally, God wants you to be advancing. He wants you to have authority over Satan. And a great example of that in a personal way is Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. We're not going to take the time to read it, but in verses 1 through 11, we see Jesus coming against temptation from the enemy, and the, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, three different areas, huge areas that we all grapple with, that we struggle with, and Jesus stands firm. He advances against the enemy, and he uses the spoken word of God to do it. To have victory personally, church, standing firm when opposition comes, we must use a rhema word to speak truth into the situations that are before us. Again, not for personal gain, not to abuse Scripture, and there's certainly enough of that, but to speak with confidence, to advance, to stand firm. Now, in Ephesians 6, Paul is writing to the church, though. And there is personal application, but really, he's talking to the church and encouraging the church to stand firm as the body of Christ. And we see God's agenda in the New Testament is really one of the Great Commission to be advancing the gospel, to share our testimony, to go and to make disciples of all creatures. And so when we look at our job, 
one place I love to look is Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Turn with me there. Romans chapter 10. Look what it says. It's so powerful. Talking about God's word being shared. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them, sharing the good news? And in verse 15, how, uh, and how can they preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And now this is not just reserved for pastors or for missionaries. This is for each and every one of us. We are called to advance the gospel. Listen to what it says. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed in our message? And then consequently, verse 17, faith comes by hearing the message, the spoken word of God. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. We are called to share, each and every one of us, to bring good news. And the fact is, is that the gospel, it brings change into people's lives. Change individually. Change in their families. Change within the church body. Change within the community at large. Change across the globe. And the bottom line, church, for us this morning is we need to pick up our weapon, the Lagos, Word of God, and then we need to use it to be able to communicate the Rhema, Word of God. The devil would love to make you or me believe that we could exist without God's Word. But the truth is, we are nothing without God's Word. The truth is that Satan knows the Lagos. He knows the word. He knows it better than any of us. Satan does. But you know what? If that doesn't matter. Satan may know God's word, but he is still out to destroy you. It's not until you respond to Satan and to his attacks with the Lagos, the, the Rhema, I'm sorry, the Rhema word of God, the spoken word of God, that he has to flee. Satan has no authority when it comes to the spoken word of God. And this has been true since the beginning of time. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, a couple of verses here, and then we're going to close. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I love this, uh, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This or These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. He's going to bless you, he's saying. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide wells that, did not, that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, things you don't deserve is what he's saying. Then you will eat 
or when you eat and you are satisfied, then, verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The first thing we see here is the importance that we need to understand the, God's word. And especially in a family context, we need to honor God's word. We need to be teaching God's word. It needs to be bound on our hands and on our foreheads. We need to impress it on our children. But then there's this, this, in, in this imagery that when the Israelites get there, they get to the promised land, when they're enjoying all these good things, and I look at most of our lives, and I know there's certain, certain ones here that are really struggling, but the lion's share of us, would we agree that we are blessed? We're living in favor. When we're full, when things are comfortable, verse 12 says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. We are not to forget the rhema word of God. We can get so self Uh, absorbed or so self-contained that we can do it on our own. That's exactly what the enemy would love. But we have authority, incredible authority. That authority is seen in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. It says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And the sword of the Spirit is what helps us to overcome the devil. Even though the devil is powerful, that power uh, is not as strong as the authority of God's spoken word. And what I want you to know is you do not have to be some strong, super spiritual, or some seminary trained individual. All you have to do is to understand the logos the word of God, and to then speak it, the rhema word. You do have to claim who you are and then act on it as if it were true. To know the word and to know it well enough. And so we need to study it. We need to read it. We need to memorize God's word. Did you know there are thousands of promises in God's word? Thousands of promises for you and for me that we can take hold of. I want to just look at a couple of these. I want you to flip with me. Um, first, let's go to First uh, John chapter 4. These were just a couple that kind of really resonated with me in my spirit this week as I was studying. First John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. And he's talking about evil spirits uh, right before that. We've overcome these things because the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. Aren't you glad for that promise? The truth of God's word that we are stronger because of who resides in us than he that is in the world. How about 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5? It says, For everyone born of God, which that's those of us that believe and have given our hearts to the Lord, overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We are overcomers, God's word says, because of what Jesus has done, because of the message 
of the gospel. One more quick one, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says this, And they, us, we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And then it says, They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. See, the enemy will only be released for a certain amount of time. And then he'll be bound up for eternity. But while he's out on the prowl, he's seeking to devour. But we can stand on the promise of God's word. And it's when we can learn to speak it, memorize it, recall it in our toughest times, there's life as a result of it. When I was first out of college, I was, uh, I think, how old were we, Jessica? I was 21, I think, something like that. And within that first year, uh, one of the folks that went to the church that, I, that we went to in Dayton, Ohio, came to me, and he was just so passionate about God's Word. And, uh, and he, he said, man, he said, Pastor Ben, I wish I could pay you out of my business to read God's Word. And I said, hey, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> And he wasn't able to at that point, but his passion as he talked about the Word of God and the importance of that, I'll never forget. His name was Greg Weiss. He was a pastor. He was out of ministry. He had a moral failure, but, but God was restoring him and in God's Word. And he said, just think about it. He said, if you for the next 20 years of your life could read through Scripture and learn it and study it, think about what your ministry would be like when you're 41 years old, or 42, whatever that case would have been. He said, for the next 20 years, if you could read the Word of God, he said, I wish I could pay you. That's how important it is. And you know what? It challenged me at that point in my life. At that point in my life, I had never read through the Bible cover to cover. I had never had a plan to do so. And I did for the next several years in a row. I I did that. I read through God's Word. And it was life to me. And you know what? As you read God's word and you reread it, it says it's living and active. It speaks to us. This past Monday I was reading and um, and, and God was just speaking to me uh, in just such a powerful way in my own spirit with some things that I was dealing with and struggling with. And I was able to kind of bring that and, and share it. Uh, with our uh, Heart of David students, or I think that was two, two Mondays ago. It, it, it's God's Word. And you know, if we miss a day or two in God's Word, we should miss it like we haven't had anything to eat. I told the students this weekend that, that God's Word, we were going to concentrate on God's Word in our different services, and it's like a meal. We want to eat it up. Because what it does, it gives us the authority When opposition comes, when tough times come, it gives us the authority to make the difference, to speak that word, and to overcome the enemy. Now, this morning, I'm not sure where any of you are, 
I know where some of you are, probably. But I believe that God wants to encourage you to be in his word. As I kind of sat with this whole idea of the armor of God, and really all summer long, I've been encouraged that we as believers have the responsibility to take up these different pieces, the belt of truth, the breastplate, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, all these things. But when it comes to the Word of God, if we don't invest in our lives into God's Word, if we don't get it deep inside of our spirits, if we don't become a skilled soldier able to use that sword in a powerful way, we are going to be walking around defeated. And that may be exactly where you are this morning, just feeling down, feeling defeated. And I want to encourage you to pick up your sword, get in the Word, and let God do some incredible things in your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. You know, the Word of God, it, it, it talks about our lives, that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that the reality is, without a Savior, we will spend an eternity away from our Father in heaven in hell. I don't want anyone in the sound of my voice this morning to walk out of here without knowing for sure that they are secure in their salvation, that they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. If you're here, whether it's your first time or you've been here lots and lots of times, this morning God is speaking to your heart. He wants you to receive him this morning. And if that's this morning and you're ready to say, slip up your hand. We want to pray with you. Allow God to speak to your heart. See, God's word says that when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what Jesus does for us. And if you need that reality in your life this morning, would you just slip up your hand? We want to pray for you. Anyone at all? I don't see any hands this morning. No one raised their hands this morning, and that's okay. So if you're here and you're a believer, you're enlisted in the armor, army of God. And there are pieces of armor that God wants you to put on to be able to be victorious. And the fact is, is that life is hard. We understand that. But there are promises 
that God has given us in his word so we can stand. And I want you to think about your life and maybe the area of your life where you are struggling most this morning. Could be in your family, could be in finances, relationships. It could be in fear or anxiety. It could be a whole host of things. It could be deliberate sin. It could be, you know, areas of your life that you know are not pleasing to God. And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to find a promise in God's word and then stand on it. And I don't mean to stand and not, you know, just to be still, but to move forward with authority, with confidence. And there are numerous verses that we can turn to, but the onus is on you to do that. And if you need help, you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. And you come to me, I will help get you verses. And you can plaster them all over your car and over your mirrors and, you know, and, and do that. We, we post scripture around our house all the time. But we need to be reading God's word and memorizing it and studying it. In kids' church, when I was a kids' pastor, we would create incentives for that. We'd give a Tootsie Roll, or a candy bar, or Bible bucks, or whatever, to get kids to memorize Scripture. And I was thinking, is there an incentive I could bring for the church? And I couldn't think of one. So I just want to implore you. It's the benefit of God's Word in your life will take you where you want to go. And so we need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. And if you have God's word with you this morning, just a physical copy, or if it's on your, uh, on your phone, or if, you know, what, however you have a copy of God's word, I want you to do something with me. And if you don't have God's word, I want you just to pretend like you do. I want you to put it close to your heart this morning. All right? And then I want you to stand. We're going we're gonna to affirm God's word in our lives. If you don't have a copy of God's word, just put your hand on your heart. It's symbolic of God's word. And I want you to repeat this after me. So, dear Lord, help me to know your word. And help me to be able to communicate it. Your word is life. I need it. Help me to know it, to experience it. Give me a hunger and a thirst for your word. And when I miss it, help me to crave it. And Lord, help me to be victorious against no matter what I face. And I'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, you're dismissed. Go in the grace of God. If you need prayer for anything specific this morning and would like to be anointed with oil, we will stick around and pray the elders of the church. Otherwise, go in the grace of God 
and go with God's word and let it pierce into your heart this week. Amen? Amen. God bless you as you go. Yeah.